Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. Uh, my name is Peter Ravel. I'm the co-host of this show. And I'm Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. Well, you know, we venture far and wide on the American Shoreline Podcast Network and never a stone unturned. And I'd say the show we have today, Tyler, is one of the most unique conversations that we've ever had. Uh, welcoming to the show David Kay and C.J. Lewis from the University of New Hampshire uh, Power Play program. Uh, and I bet nobody in this audience has ever heard of Power Play. Well, I shouldn't say that. There might be no, yeah, too. I think that if you attended the uh, Managed Retreat Conference in New York, this you might be familiar with this group. Yeah, it's a great idea. So welcome to the show, David Kay and C.J. Lewis. Thanks for having Thanks us, guys. Well, listen, guys, uh, I think that, first of all, this is a really exciting show for us. As Peter mentioned, we love to stop and smell the roses and, and appreciate the, the cool stuff that happens on the American shoreline. And uh, you guys popped up with a really interesting idea, which is to use applied theater uh, in the coastal space to help us kind of negotiate our way through the political complexities of, of managing the American shoreline. Uh, but let's back up a little bit and tell us uh, first, and I'll start with CJ, what is applied theater and uh, how do you use it and how do you practice it at the University of New Hampshire? So we see um, applied theater as uh, a tool for um, digging into the messy uh, interpersonal moments that get in the way of us affecting as communicators. Uh, affecting, excuse me, uh, communicating as effectively as we can. Um, because theater and drama in particular is really all about that messy world of human relationships. And by applying a theater pedagogy to personal and professional development training, um, we sort of have a, a, an interesting and engaging and dynamic way of pulling apart those, those messy moments and examining exactly what's going on with them. Hmm. So complex issues through human relations in a in a theatrical, I don't know if that's the right word, context. Uh, David Kay, you founded this, what, back in June 2013. Can you can you tell us about the origin of, of your idea and the program and what you've been able to do with it in the, I guess, preceding six years? Sure. Uh, well, really, I've, I've worked in uh, various forms of applied theater for, for many, many years, uh, sometimes in the form of psychodrama. Uh, and also in another form, uh, sometimes referred to as theater of the oppressed um, or foreign theater. Uh, and uh, a number of years ago, I really wanted to take this uh, this art form that I spent so much time working with over the many years uh, and find different ways to apply it uh, in a more active way. Uh, and uh, so I had had thoughts about starting an applied theater company. Uh, I wasn't sure exactly how I was going to do it or how it was going to start, but it sort of began by uh, attending actually a lecture that was put on by our Carsey Institute, which is now the Carsey School, our, our public policy school here at UNH. Uh, and they were doing a specific uh, program on the state of democracy in rural America. And uh, my takeaway from attending this lecture was that uh, in, in small communities, many of which uh, we have here in New Hampshire that have town meetings and whatnot, uh, that when town meetings were facilitated well, uh, democracy seemed to work pretty well. And when uh, town meetings weren't facilitated well, it, it really broke down. So I started to wonder if I could create a program that could somehow help develop the facilitation skills of people that are in public office or have to interface with the community. 
Uh, so we got some seed money from the Carsey Institute, and that was our very first program, uh, an interactive theater model uh, where we put together, uh, in this case, uh, it was sort of a listening group, and then we had an actor who played the role of the facilitator. And then our audience, which were actually all potential facilitators of public meetings, uh, would observe, had an opportunity to ask questions and pick apart what actually happened in front of them, and then actually got to take it to the next step, which is to try strategies for better facilitation methods. All right, hang on. Uh, so from there, we went on to many, many other different programs uh, over these next uh, Okay, I'm, I want to get to the, that, too, but I really wanted to know more about the 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 seminal idea here because most of the theater people I know don't think about public policy. Uh, no offense to the theater crowd. I have a lot of great friends who do community theater. That is accurate. In Austin, Texas. You know, social consciousness in the theater community, though, is an absolute premium in most, especially local theater. Um, but to, to look at it as a device and to look at it as a public policy uh, tool to help the dialogue in the community, as you said, in the political dialogues that we, mm -hmm. what, 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 like, where did you come from with that idea? I, would, were you a political science major? Was it your father? Was it, it just seems uh, really a, like a great idea. Well, just speaking for myself, I've always been intensely interested in politics, and and uh, and so uh, contrast to the statement that we just made, you know, theater is uh, I, I think just about theater on any level is social political, no matter what you do. Matter of fact, when I'm teaching my students and directing, I say, you know, you're going to be a social political commentator whether you like it or not, and that doesn't matter whether you're just doing a little uh, comedy or whether you're doing something really intensive with a real focus on on politics or society. Uh, so I. I I kind of see it as a, as a somewhat natural step. Firstly, I've always been involved in politics. My dad was uh, the mayor of St. Albans, Vermont, where I grew up in, uh, in even though our, our politics... There it is, right there. The years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I've always had this really intense interest in politics and the arts. I will say, too, um, I think we found that the, the, the actors and the talent that's, that's best at this work um, are... are are actors who are who are curious um, uh, about the way people work and about the way the world work. Uh, they're they're actors who I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily classify as you know your um, your run of the mill theater person quote unquote. Um, there's a there's a sense of egolessness that um, these actors need to bring to this work because we really think about all of our actors and our programs as sort of co-facilitators of the programs too. They have to be keying in um, on um, what is it that this audience seems to be want to seems to want to investigate and how can I sort of tune my performance or my approach to this work accordingly. So, so we all get the most impact out of this session together. So the, the style art and our approach is very non-performative. It's, it's hyper-realistic. Um, we don't like working in theater spaces. We try to avoid them. In fact, we try to, we, we try to avoid using the word theater at all when we're, when we're talking about these programs, very wise. We found it, it can kind of scare people off. You know, we always joke that, um, you know, whenever I facilitate a program, I, I make sure to, to have a moment at the top where I acknowledge the fact that I understand that the words interactive theater together, are, this is probably the most terrifying phrase on the planet. <laughs> so you, uh, you will not have to act today, though. That's what we have the actors here for, to sort of bear that emotional burden and do that risk taking on your behalf. You get to experiment with them kind of like lab rats.
Okay, so I want to dive into a, well, I've got a, I've got a whole bunch of questions. This is just so interesting, but you know, obviously, so if you're playing like a mayor, you know, if if the if the scene in question is a I don't know a constituent and a mayor, you got two different characters. The constituent, you know, you we could you know maybe they're a farmer and they're more conservative and they don't like to use a lot of words, kind of curt and short spoken. But the mayor, you know, there's like some cultural. Um, conclusions that that I think I would imagine that you or your actors would need to make about what mayors might be like. And obviously there's a a wide spectrum of personalities here. But, you know, there's the constraints of the office and and the chair and the actual, like, theatrical space of the character. And then there's the uh, restrictions of our society's expectations of what certain personality types match with certain types of jobs. For example, in the coastal space, the, you know, we tease them from time to time. But the, the coastal engineers, there's there's like a there's a a character that we've kind of created. A, a it's a generalization. It's a bit of a stereotype. And I'm just wondering how you guys na- navigate around those things and if they're incorporated into. Uh, the topography of your uh, of your play, I'll, I'll call it. Uh, a great deal of research goes into every single project that we do, and it usually starts with a with a lot of interviewing. That certainly was the case uh, for the projects dealing uh, with managed retreat. Uh, that is to say, like CJ and, and our and our team went out and interviewed and interviewed and interviewed a number of people. Uh, because we, then we try to really find the sort of common thread among those people to indeed create some sort of a composite character that is as universal as we can possibly get to. Uh, in a lot of cases, like in the piece that we most recently created, CJ actually wrote the monologues and did a really amazing job with them. But for the most part, all of those lines that were spoken were not necessarily lines that he invented. He may have nuanced them, but they really came from the people that we talked to. So absolutely, we're certainly not going to be able to uh, uh, have a a representation of a character who's going to be absolutely explicitly uh, uh, representative of every single Bayer that ever existed. But we do try to do our best to try to create as universal a human being as we possibly can uh, that we can identify with and understand. And, and, uh, and that sort of um, underscores uh, the, the, the point to the, I was making about the style of this work too, and sort of the trust that we do put in our actors. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we, we like working with folks who are going to bring themselves to the table. Um, we always use our actors real names with this work. Um, we sort of want to acknowledge that they're a human being here. They're, they're bringing, uh, you know, when uh, we have, uh, we've got three people sitting on the stage uh, speaking with us today and they're bringing themselves to this work. And you as a, as a, as a witness to this, you're also bringing your own biases about how you view this person based on, you know, age or their racial identity or what, or gender or whatever that might be. Um, and, you know, we acknowledge that in the room. And the other thing we can do um, with this work is, you know, switch up these variables. Let's replay the scene and let's switch these two actors and have them say the exact same lines. Do you perceive the scene differently now? Um, wow. Just because we've changed the identity of, of who is speaking, does, is this more or less impactful mm-hmm. to you? Uh, what's changed? You know, what are you noticing about your own biases and your own perceptions about these people just based on these little variables that we can change? Ooh. Wow, I love it. It also sort of connected to that. We always, after an actor might have an interaction or just a question from the audience, usually ask, are you satisfied with that answer? 
the factor the quality of the answer, whether we thought the answer was good or bad, but did you find that the that the answer was authentic and truthful? Could you could you see somebody saying that? Okay, so there's a lot to unpack here, and what so to set the stage, if I can say that for the audience here, uh, CJ's. And 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 Dr. K. This is uh, Dr. David K. We should mention you're a professor of theater and art and arts at University of New Hampshire, but are using um, of this device, this technique of engaging the public on actual real world issues. I mean, that's what I kind of find fascinating is is to take what is a, essentially a fictional uh, enterprise of theater. Uh, and a creative space, and and to layer that on top of a very real, complex issue where people's livelihoods and perspectives and, uh, and political ideology is vividly, at, you know, at issue, and that's climate change. So you guys have done. Um, let's 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 talk about this a little bit more. So you said you in, in preparation for the. For the program that you put together at the at Columbia University this past week um, uh, at the Manage Retreat Conference, which was a very good conference, uh, we interviewed uh, Hadley. Right? Is, is it? Mm-hmm. Uh, who was the guy we interviewed that we just interviewed <laughs> from the Manage Retreat? Brad. Yes. 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 Bradley yes. Horton. Bradley Horton. Horton. Great guy. Um, you're, you bring this 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 the, this theater. I can't say theater, but this artistic uh, device into the conference. And I want to know, CJ, about the interviews. I want to know what you yeah. heard and what those themes were. And you said, you know, we we talked to a lot of people and we put the program together based on what we understood. I'm fascinated by what your perception was. What did you learn and what did you hear? Right. Um, we. Uh, you know, we had to be a little sly with our approach to how we we interviewed and spoke with people because, um, you know, we were we were asking them about their points of view on you know policies and procedures, but what we were really doing was trying to get to the sort of emotional heart of the matter with all of these issues. Um, because we, we're, we're not experts on policy. We're not experts on climate change. We're not experts on uh, best practices uh, when it comes to, you know, uh, coastal adaptation strategies. But the expertise that we do bring to the table is sort of the nuances of human behavior and human emotion. And so we, we sort of spent two and a half months tricking scientists into talking about their feelings. <laughs> um, <laughs> tell us what they, come on, you got to tell yeah. us what they said. What um, you thought and, of what they said. Well, what, what we were really curious um, about was what were people's frustrations and fears around these issues? Yeah. What were... What were the what were the sticking points? Um, what were the, the major interpersonal obstacles that were getting in the way of effective communication? Okay. Um, you know, because we can talk about policy and strategies all day, um, you know, at a, on a on a big picture level. But, you know, at the heart of it, we're dealing with human beings who have to deal with other human beings. And that's really what we're trying to zoom in on and unpack Um yeah. So we got to ask, uh, what were some of the fault lines that you uncovered where those where there's, I don't know, friction or uh, hang ups where we where we're not connecting honestly and emotionally honestly uh, w- with these groups? Uh, 
and this is a this is sort of being revealed to us now as we do the work more with, with audiences too because we sort of approach it with a with a with a with a sense of what we what where we think the fault lines are yeah. but and that's the magic of this work is you really discover that in the practice of it um so you know we're uh these these climate change monologues they're they're not a play that we're performing at you to tell you what we think we learned they're really a springboard for the room uh, and the participants to have a discussion. And that's really where the work happens. So um, this particular um, this particular piece focuses on three stakeholders around this issue. Specifically, um, we have the perspective of a scientist, the perspective of a civic leader, and the perspective of a coastal resident. Um, so those were the those were the three archetypes that we focused on when we did our interviews. And then there's also folks that we deem boundary spanners who sort of um, have have a foot in one or more of those camps, um, which which is actually a majority of the people who are engaged in this issue. They identify as you know one or more of those things. Um, right. And really, what what one of the biggest things I learned last week at the Columbia conference was the this idea came up, and this is coming from the group in our conversation that we had. Um, this idea came up, and this frustration came up that folks felt like. They were, they were all in their own silo. I believe one one participant mentioned, and we we ultimately sort of talked about uh, or discovered uh, that folks really weren't listening to the other person um, and the other point of view. Um, we get we sort of get married to. Um, to what we think is best and what we think is right, and fail to consider um, the myriad of points of view in the room. Um, because this work is so, and this was a goal that we had, um, with this particular program as well is how do we generate empathy for all of the voices in the conversation, even when they may be working against what we feel are our own best interests. Wow. You know, the idea of that, of that, of that siloing and people uh, becoming uh, more refined in their perspective and, and in their own space about that is very much part of what Coastal News Today is about when we're trying to put next to each uh, on the on the news page every day a story about mm-hmm. the port industry or about oil and gas development on the Texas coast or uh, uh, wind power up in the northeast and the environmental community trying to preserve a wetland. These are communities that are very distinct and do not often mix unless they're fighting about something. And and I mm-hmm. think you're quite accurate in that. So you go to the conference, you guys put this program on, you've got, I guess, three archetype uh, on stage, I guess. Tell us about the room. How long did it take? Uh, David, what did it work as the, as the artistic director of this thing? Were you happy with it? Tell us about it. Take us into the room. Well, why don't we, uh, we can start back uh, with the Kittery conference. That was the first yeah, time okay. yeah, that's that's great. it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was a, uh, yeah, go ahead, David. Yeah, I was going to say that, uh, you know, each one of these projects, uh, you know, they're their own animals uh, and have to be really one of the first things we have to figure out is just what kind of model can we even create that we can really get at this issue? Um, really, our, our, our first attempt at, at working at all in this in the, in the field of climate science at all uh, was actually a number of years ago uh, working with some researchers in Dartmouth. Uh, and they really wanted to look at just sort of the communication of science on, on 
climate-related issues, uh, but they wanted to do it without actually being overtly talking about or promoting uh, policies uh, to combat climate change. Uh, so they wanted to, they, your traditional scientist, for example, was going to do a power call. You know, here's all the, here, here in the state of New Hampshire, uh, you know, here's what's going to happen if policy stays the same and give you the data, et cetera. And then they wanted to have some sort of interactive theater model. So our question is like, what, how in the world do we try to uh, create something that is going to uh, be presented before a bunch of lay people uh, about public policy decisions that they're going to be making that might affect uh, New Hampshire 100 years down the future? So in that particular case, we decided to take our audience on a time travel trip. Uh, and based on the research and data that was given to us on what uh, New Hampshire will look like if uh, our land use policy in this particular case was unchanged. Uh, this is what New Hampshire will look like in 100 years. Hmm. Uh, and then they also did a second model of what would happen if they uh, changed land use policy to one that was much more climate friendly. Hmm. Um, the end result was where we sort of dropped these people at a coffee shop, uh, our audience, where they could listen in on people 100 years in the future, basically just talking about their lives. Oh, that's cool uh, and then we sort of said, yep. We're going to put up some two-way glass, and you're going to be able to have an interaction with these people. Ooh. So, in this particular case as well, we had to we had to determine what was the model that was going to happen. This is what led CJ to this sort of interweaving three monologue approach. Okay, so Kittering, Maine, uh, was the first time you did the climate adaptation. Uh, what do we call production? Can you help me with the words that you would use to describe what you do? <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, but I think we're, we're still finessing that, too. Um, this this particular program we've been calling Undercurrents. Uh, so that's 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 okay. the name we've got on this. So one. You, you bring together a group of people in Kittery, Maine. Uh, how many people showed up and what kind of a room? And uh, t- tell us about the, the, the evening, how it went. Inside, you know, what, how did people react to this thing? The reception. Yeah. What did the audience think? That's always a good question right. for well, actors. At, yeah, this was at um, uh, an event called the Beaches Conference, which is an annual conference um, that brings together uh, stakeholders who who are who are you know, talking about coastal adaptation on the New Hampshire Maine seacoast specifically, which is a very it's a very small area. If you're not familiar with this area, you know, New Hampshire's got the the, the smallest coastline of the contiguous United States, uh, Maine's is much larger, but the, the southern Maine and New Hampshire coastline is is really one um, one focused community. But it but it is small, um, and you, you know this is a this event is a you know an annual opportunity to get all the players in that um, in that space in the room together. So there was probably um, I would say about 200 250 people um, at our session. Um, and uh, you know, we, we, we pulled the room and there was a very, it was a very diverse mix of, um, you know, the three archetypes that we were, we were going to look at. So the, um, there were scientists, there were civic leaders, and, and there were folks who, who were just coastal residents who are passionate about this issue in the room as well. Okay. Well, that's a good start, right? So your archetypes are good. Well, and the fact that they're all present and showing up and and uh, in the audience, that's got to be a good, I mean, you wouldn't, it's nice to have a good representation uh, there on the. So, yeah. So how did it go? I mean, uh, tell us, tell us, walk us through that a bit. I'm very curious. I'm, I'm, yeah, I want to know. 
Um, I, I found, uh, you know, we were, we were, we were curious to see how it would go as well. Um, uh, we've, I think we found, uh, that folks were certainly engaged. Um, they, uh, they certainly recognized the, the points of view that were being presented. Um, <laughs> they are, uh, there, there was laughs, <laughs> um, of recognition along the way, of course, for sure. And so much of this work too, is about, you know, before we talk about, um, changing our behavior, we have to become aware of it. Right. Um, and, uh, that awareness component, we seem to check those boxes. Um, folks definitely seem to identify, um, with, uh, you know, these different archetypes. Uh, and then, you know, so the piece is very short. It's about 10, 11 minutes long. It's these interwoven monologues. And then we really open it up, um, and give the audience an opportunity to ask these characters questions, um, and to dig into their their perspectives um, a little bit deeper, um, and it was interesting, David. Um, maybe you can recall um, better than I can um, about who uh, folks seem to really dig want to dig in on the homeowner um, or the or excuse me the the, the coastal resident uh, and his his point of view because uh, this this character that we created um, is a little bit more set in his ways. Um, you know, his, his perspective is very much, I pay taxes, put them, we'll do something about it. I'm not, I'm not getting out of my house. I put it up on blocks. I'm self-reliant. Um, you know, keep, keep the water out of my neighborhood, figure it out. Right. Right. But at the same time, um, you know, what's interesting about the development of that character, um, was the, sort of the attempt to, to make sure I sometimes refer to it as cracks in the armor. That is to say that this person wasn't climate change denier, wasn't denying that these problems were happening, um, you know, but at the same time wasn't so convinced that there was really a need for any type of drastic action. Uh, but the, but you could tell from the audience, the audience perceived that there was a way to get to this person. There was a way to talk to them. There was a way to perhaps persuade him and get get him to understand um, the situation on a much deeper uh, and important level. So I think that might have been one of the reasons, CJ, why the audience really did, dug into it is that they saw an opportunity of maybe some success of, of, of moving the ball forward in some some capacity. Um, one of the things when we started that session is that, you know, we just did a quick survey of the room to find out who was there. It was actually pretty evenly split between uh, people that were there uh, in some sort of policymaking uh, position, uh, people that were there from the science community, and people that were there. indeed there. There were uh, homeowners and, and property owners. Uh, but I would say that probably that particular audience of people that were very interested in, in confronting the problems. We didn't really have representation, I think, of the real naysayers. I'm not sure if they would show up to an event like that. But some of the questions that people really did want to dig into is, well, what do we, what do, we do when we come up against this person that is just a brick wall? And that's, uh, that's, that's something that I would love to spend a little time on and, and tease out of you guys is you talked about the vulnerability thing. And, uh, we, 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 and before you used the word silos, which to me, uh, are, we're kind of talking about the same thing, which is this, uh, the silo is this barrier between say one's profession or their, their, their point of view and others, other points of view and other professions and other, other, uh, interests. And I'm wondering if um, you believe fundamentally that there is uh, always a 
that there are always uh, uh, holes in the armor, if you will, uh, as you put it, in in people, if that's a people characteristic and it's something that you build into your characters, or if you do have, like, for you, you mentioned the denier, that would just be absolute, they would just reject the whole premise of the of the question and, of course, the, the production, too. Right. I'd say, first of all, that uh, sort of the work in a lot of cases really provides two op- two main opportunities. Uh, as as uh, CJ was sort of talking about empathy, uh, another way to look at it is you're just trying to understand the thinking of that other person, and that's what our actors are trying to provide. So our audience are like investigators and psychologists. We're trying to figure out why does that person behave and speak and think the way that they do, because the only way that I'm going to be able to address that is if I better understand where they're coming from. So that is one aspect of what the program does. And the other aspect uh, could sometimes be referred to Augusta Boal's, sort of the originator of much of this work, uh, would refer to this as a rehearsal for the future. So in this case, um, you know, here we had an example of somebody with a crack in the armor. And how could we, how could we actively rehearse how we might be able to expand that crack? Um, and we can certainly also create a model with the brick wall. Uh, but we have to understand that with the brick wall, um, it, 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 you know, we have to ask ourselves to what degree is this for the future going to be fruitful or not? Um, is there any opportunity to move the ball forward in that situation? Right. Maybe not, but maybe we can get deeper into trying to understand what is generating that perspective. Huh. So you're trying to, it sounds like... Uh, illuminate some nuance and complexity in how we confront complicated issues. I mean, you guys, you work in, in, in police bias, you work in very difficult social issues in this program, in this applied theater program. Uh, it seems like what you're trying to do here, and if, tell me if I'm on the right track, if I'm hearing you, uh, is, to, is to sort of draw out the complexity and the nuance of the, of the points of view here, that they're not as rigid as they might appear on the surface. Is that kind of what you're trying to get to? Yeah, certainly. Um, I, I always like to say that these, these workshops and these sessions are, are an opportunity to freeze time um, for a little bit. Hmm. And you know, like, like you said, really grant ourselves uh, a moment to uh, say, hold on. What, what did I just hear and what, what is behind all of that? Because we don't get to do that in our day-to-day. Uh, when we have a moment of, of, of tension or a sticky interpersonal moment, we just, we're programmed to navigate it quickly and move on and not necessarily confront it. So uh, what, if, what if we can you know, call a timeout and you know, remove ourselves from the situation and look at it at, from, from all sides? What do we learn about ourselves and what do we learn about other people in that process? Got it. That's, you know, Tyler and I, in, in our previous work before we were doing uh, American Trolling Podcast Network and Coastal News Today, we're doing community uh, workshop processes on coastal erosion and investment. What we were trying to do and did for many communities was raise taxes locally so that they could have money to do whatever they were going to do. In many cases, it was beach restoration. And we spent many, many months, years doing that. And I'll tell you, there's a couple of themes that always jumped out at me, and I'm, I'm curious if this is something that you came across. There's a couple of underlying themes when you get to coastal risk and the homeowner discussion particularly. 
One is uh, that people who do not live right by the water tend to apply a standard of fault uh, to those folks and say, you know what, you chose to do take the risk. Uh, that's good, uh, t- too bad for you. Uh, and if this needs to be uh, dealt with, that's your problem. In other words, it's a, a mechanism to step away from the problem and to assign it to someone else. And fault is a very useful uh, way to do that. Did you come across a fault-based discussion where the interplay with the homeowner was based around, well, you were the dummy who shouldn't have built down there? Uh, that came up a little bit um, at the New York conference. Um, you know, when I, when I said there was a little bit of tension in the room, mm-hmm. I think it was, it was, that was um, for the most part, the source of it were folks getting frustrated with, with this, this person. Uh, uh, and, you know, naturally, um, the, you know, there's some finger pointing happening there. Um, and you could, you could feel, you could feel the, the temperature of the room rising a little bit right. once that starts to happen, because, you know, you're, st- we're starting to go down this road. And I think we all know that this isn't, uh, we're not setting ourselves up for an effective, right. It's going to break um, down moment of communication. Right. The- and when we had an opportunity to sort of name that as it was happening, um, and, and say, well, let's, let's, okay. And now all of a sudden the performance is, is bleeding out into the interaction between audience and actor, which is exactly what we want um, because it's becoming, it's becoming real at, at, at this point. And the flip side of that for the owner, you know, when you describe the homeowners, uh, a statement in Kittery. I think you said, you know, look, this is happening. This is not good. There's water coming into my yard. You guys just need to fix it. Is also an assignment of responsibility statement. It was, is how mm-hmm. I would hear that. He's saying, listen, I didn't cause whatever it is, climate change, global warming, you know, we don't know what the hell it is, but I didn't do it. I'm an innocent victim. And the rest of the people in this, this is how it would sound in a meeting I've been in, is, is they would say, you know, what about all of the flood control stuff and stormwater management we do in other parts of the county? I don't hear anybody telling me, well, that's, you know, their fault and they, they, I don't have to pay for that. You know, so this assignment of responsibility th- thinking is, is, to me, I hear that always as I am overwhelmed by this problem and can't. Mm-hmm. There's a sense of futility in here on mm-hmm. this issue. Did you feel that sense of futility, that emotion, that sort of there's a little bit of fear in here? Because Absolutely. Fear Fear is such a uh, – that word came up a lot at the New York conference as well. Uh, and you could tell there was a lot of fear around just using the word fear and acknowledging that that there's fear um, because it's a – that's a vulnerable emotion to name. Um, and I think it also manifests itself in, um, uh, folks urgency is not, um, matched from person to person. And so, so we have this sense of, uh, uh, this is a this is a five year issue for me. This is a six month issue for me. Oh, this right. is a hundred year issue for me. Right. So how do we how do we sort of create equity in terms of how we talk about the urgency of the issue as well? That, that is a great observation and what I call the time frame of reference problem in this discussion. And I've noticed this as well in the rooms that we've been in. Is the scientists are thinking, you know, in the next thirty years, the next fifty, the next hundred, it rolls off their tongue very naturally that what they're trying to contemplate and address 
is something that is the hundred year, that time travel idea you guys did exactly on that point. Mm -hmm. But a homeowner might be thinking about, well, I'm going to be here for the next seven years. My grandkids are love coming to the beach. And when they're 18, I'm selling it out and I don't particularly care about the next hundred, nor Mm -hmm. does the developer really who can get a project approved, put it on the shoreline, sell it, make the money and go to the bank and, and leave. So it's this difference in time frame. Tell us what, what your observation about that time frame of reference difference and how that hindered, you know, the discussion, how did it play in the, in the ability to communicate with each other? Right. Well, we did, uh, we actually looked at a moment um, at the Columbia conference between our scientists and our civic leader, sort of around this specific issue um, you know, folks were, were really kind of digging into each of those characters about their timeline um, and about their urgency. And, you know, we said, well, let's let's look at let's look at a conversation between these two about this and let's see how how it goes. What can we what can we equip each of these characters with? Let's give them a goal for this conversation, um, you know, for the for the for the scientists, that goal might be, you know, you need to, we need to make it clear to the civic leader, we have to do something now. Um, and the civic leader's point of view was, I, I don't, I don't understand the information you're giving me. You know, you're just dropping this document on my desk and saying, do something. We need help. Um, so there is also this, uh, and we, and we, we played that conversation out and it was very uncomfortable, which, which we love. <laughs> it created more tension. Um, Okay, so we have a few minutes left, and I I, I do want to um, touch on a couple things, and I just have to say that uh, I think that it's just great this applied theater, uh, you guys being on the American Shoreline and doing this work, I think is really really great, and uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, I want to ask you guys if you so you're you're talking about kind of this emotional vulnerability thing, like willingness to rupture emotionally. And kind of allow your pre one's preconceived motions, uh, notions and emotions to um, spill out and kind of let that happen. And um, within the strict confines of, say, the chambers of City Hall, which are designed, you know, very clearly to move, kind of process the these motions into these, you know, into policies that are very dry and white paper and black ink. Um, what advice do you have to policymakers around the American shoreline who are confronting these issues? Um, what advice, I, I suppose one piece of advice could be to hire you guys to come out and do a show, but uh, what, what advice would you give them um, about th- their emotional honesty or whatever? Like, take it away. Uh, I'll share something that, um, uh, that has stuck with me that somebody said at the Kittery event. Um, it was... He was a he was an older gentleman. Um, you could tell he had he had some some wisdom and some years behind him. And he said, "I I feel like this is uh, a uniquely American problem. Not not coastal adaptation. Not the need for managed retreat. Um, not our changing shorelines. That's not what he meant. But what he said was, we're." I think all of these people are too self-reliant for their own good. We're afraid to ask each other for help. Um, And he argued that, you know, if we went maybe somewhere else in the world, there'd be uh, more of a 
cultural sense of community and more of a uh, a willingness and even an eagerness to sort of hold hands through this issue together. Um, and that that's really stuck with me. That 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 call for community and that call for um, unifying and helping each other, uh, helping each other through this. Um, and, and, and looking outside of ourselves, um, whether that be my home as a property owner or uh, my reelection bid as a civic leader or my, uh, you know, my H index as an academic or a scientist, you know, my my publications um, and to really move beyond that and um, think about the 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 broader impact um, as a as a community of human beings. Wow, you know that guy's right. He's right yeah. about that, and it, and it's going to be the biggest challenge of the discussion that Americans are going to have, particularly coastal Americans. Is this this fierceness of, you know, this is mine or independent thinking? Uh, what got us into the problem in the beginning was collective action. You know, all of us on the planet, you know, listen, we all drive around, burn fossil fuel. This is a huge problem. It is a human problem. And the result, it seems to me the solution somewhere along the line is going to be inherently community-oriented. Um, and we, you're right. I think that's quite exactly right. We're, we're not, that's not the way we tend to think, unless we're at war. You know, if we go to World War II, that happens. Um, there are certain circumstances where we pull together in that way, but it's 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 going to be very interesting to watch how this plays out on the American shoreline. And I'll tell you what, I, I, I hope that you guys get to do this program all up and down the coast. I would encourage the city officials and, and the program folks who put together conferences to, to think about adding this element to the discussion. And uh, I'd love to hear back... Um, I think you guys are gonna, uh, going to put your finger on the pulse of this in a way that the scientists and the academics and the political folks will not. And I'd be very interested as this, as this goes forward, how, how, how you guys uh, pull, what your, what your perception of it is. Yeah, and you know, and that's the next phase of the work too, um, it, you know, in terms of scaling it up is, um, you know, we, we, we recognize the fact that the program that we created um, was based on the conversations we had with the people, you know, in and around the community that we live in. Um, you know, if we're to go to New Orleans or Miami or California, um, you know, we would we would like to sort of repeat the whole development process in those communities as well, and talk to people there and figure out what those, what their unique challenges and problems are as well. Because you know the the vastness of you know if you want to think about it as a national issue, the vastness of the country is actually you know one of the obstacles in terms of unifying it. Because uh, the 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 issues in Miami they don't affect me up here in New Hampshire. And I, I have no proximity to them, so it is harder to get everybody on board um, because of our vastness and because of our scope. Uh, I'll give you one other uh, just a hint. I don't know if you'll this will come through for you guys as you do the work. I hope you do get to to travel around and see the differences. But there's there's a there's a syndrome that I've named called the Hawaiian shirt syndrome. Uh, which refers to the frivolity, the sense of frivolity of the coast itself. You know, the beach house, the deck, 
the drink on the veranda. It's not a serious place. The umbrella. The umbrella. The whole the whole we don't we we have no problem thinking about the seriousness of the port of Houston or a port uh you know or the port of New York City or Long Beach, California. This is big bad stuff. We all relate to why it matters if we're gonna put all kinds of money into those things. But when you start talking about how people live and how they dress and what they do at the coast, I think it hurts the discussion. <laughs> and it tends to be over. People who live in the middle of the country are like, what the hell cares? They So they built on the coast and it's all falling apart. And I don't care. They don't, What are they doing down there anyway? Playing golf? You just dismiss it. And right. there, there is this sort of, that's what I call it, the Hawaiian shirt, shirt syndrome. There's a, there's a psychological barrier to to taking this seriously. I, I do think that's starting to change because the economic uh, uh, fallout of this problem is going to overwhelm that particular mm-hmm. sense of, you know, doesn't matter. It does. Uh, any closing yeah. thoughts and how do people follow what you guys do? How do they reach you? That kind of thing. Uh, tell us uh, how, to, how to track what you're up to. And final uh, thoughts, sure. please. Final thoughts, please. Sure. Uh, if you're if you're interested in getting in touch with us, um, you can you can go to our website um, uh, unh.edu/powerplay, and you can uh, you can get in touch with us there. We're we're a very small operation, so we're not as robust on social media as we'd like to be right now. Um, but uh, but that's that's the best means of getting in touch. That's going to change when this goes viral. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. We have. <laughs> Well, uh, C.J. Lewis and uh, Dr. David Kay from the University of New Hampshire Power Play Program, an interactive theater experience uh, dealing with one of the most significant issues, I think, facing coastal communities around the world, but in the United States, especially climate change. Uh, Thank you guys for bringing this great idea to the table, and we wish you a the, the best of luck in pursuing it. I think you're really onto something important. The beaches extend to build their hotels. My father's 